people engaging in gay sex will not be prosecuted. But a significant proportion of our population don't want that law repealed. Have you got her? Brittany Griner, uh, she's being wrongfully detained. The president did read the letter, and it is a deeply personal letter. When Darwin entered my life, both of us had been told throughout our lives at school that associating with the LGBTQ community would only do us harm. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Slovenian lesbian and gay couples win marriage and adoption rights. Brittany Griner pens a personal appeal to Joe Biden from a Russian prison. And how peer support can be life-saving for queer teens. All that and more this week, now that you've discovered This Way Out. I'm Sarah Montague. And I'm Marcos Nahira. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending July 9th, 2022. Slovenia's same-gender couples can now legally marry and adopt children, thanks to a ruling of the Constitutional Court. The June 16th decision was only made public on July 8th and takes effect immediately, according to Der Spiegel. Two plaintiff same-gender couples had sought equality, but were rejected in the lower courts. The Constitutional Court's 6-3 ruling overturned those decisions. Once part of Yugoslavia, Slovenia becomes the first former communist bloc nation to establish civil marriage equality. The Central European nation has allowed gay and lesbian couples the inferior status of civil partnerships since 2006. Slovenia's National Assembly approved marriage equality legislation in March of 2015, but voters overturned it in a referendum later that year. The National Assembly now has six months to bring the laws into compliance with the court's ruling. In the meantime, marriage in Slovenia is between two persons, regardless of gender. Queer couples living in civil partnerships or married can adopt children just like heterosexual couples. Consensual same-gender sex is no longer a crime in the nation of Antigua and Barbuda. The Caribbean country's high court ruled on July 5th that two sections of the Sexual Offenses Act of 1995, outlawing buggery and serious indecency, violate the constitutional guarantees of liberty, privacy, freedom of expression, and protection from discrimination based on sex, including sexual orientation. The two provisions outlawing male-to-male penetrative sex and other sexual acts between consenting adults were inherited from British colonial rule. Convictions brought up to 15 years in prison. The local hero of this story is Antiguan Orden David. He filed the legal challenge with queer and women's rights organizations. David told the court that he had been bullied by homophobes, but the police had done nothing. When he reported the threats, law enforcement officials derisively asked him, why is he gay? Quote, why did you choose this lifestyle? It's not yet known if the Antigua and Barbuda government will appeal the decision. The Trinidad and Tobago High Court overturned similar laws in 2018, followed by the Belizean Court of Appeal in 2019. 
constitutional challenges to the bans on private consensual adult same-gender sex are underway in Barbados, St. Lucia, and St. Kitts and Nevis. Imam Safarirad was executed at a prison in northern Iran on June 29th. Nine others were hanged that day, but according to the Iranian Human Rights and News Activist Agency, Imam was apparently sentenced to death simply for being gay. The country's Islamic-based criminal code specifically outlaws private consensual adult same-gender sex. Rights activists say that Iran usually claims that people have been executed on charges of sodomy, sometimes adding underage sex or rape to the list. Admitting that LGBTQ convicts are being hanged draws too much international attention. Defendants are typically denied legal representation and are basically railroaded to the gallows. Imam Safarirad is just the latest gay man known to be executed in Iran. A gay couple was executed for sodomy earlier this year after languishing on death row for six years. Two other gay men were hanged in 2021 on the same charge. The execution of a 17-year-old so-called rapist for having consensual sex with another teenage boy made front-page news in 2016. An Islamic court in Nigeria has sentenced three gay men to death by stoning. The 20, 30, and 70-year-old defendants reportedly could not afford legal representation and confessed. They have a month to file appeals. In the 12 northern predominantly Muslim states of Africa's most populous nation, Sharia courts prosecute same-gender sex along with adultery, blasphemy, and other sins. Meanwhile, national secular laws against same-gender sex carry penalties of up to 14 years in prison. A Twitter campaign by the Nigerian Queer Union for Economic and Social Transformation says that it's not too late. Sharia court death sentences still need to be approved by Bauchi State Governor Bala Mohammed. Many think that's a foregone conclusion, but the organization is calling on the public to put pressure on national and religious leaders to weigh in on the unconstitutionality that went on in this process. Singapore's law against consensual adult gay male sex is not being enforced. Home Affairs Minister K. Shanmugam gave his assurance of the government's position on Penal Code 377A during a recent BBC interview. The Southeast Asian city-states parliament repealed Section 377 in 2007, decriminalizing oral and anal sex between consenting adults. Section 377A was left on the books, however, specifically keeping sex between men a crime. Singapore's top courts have repeatedly rebuffed lawsuits seeking to repeal it. They've passed the buck to parliament. Home Affairs Minister Shamagam told the BBC's Hard Talk program in late June why Singapore's government will not proactively initiate repeal, and borrowed a page from U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's concurring opinion against abortion rights. People engaging in gay sex will not be prosecuted. The Attorney General has confirmed that position, and the Supreme Court has said that the government's position is legal force. A significant proportion of our population don't want that law repealed. Attitudes are shifting somewhat, but still Singapore government cannot ignore those views. And let's face it, it's not as if others have solved the issue. A Supreme Court judge from the United States suggested a few days ago that court decisions on legality of gay sex and same-sex marriage may have to be reconsidered. Singapore Home Minister K. Shamnagam. LGBTQ pride season ended on July 5th in Turkey, the same way it began in late May. 
More than three dozen people were arrested when riot police tear-gassed and pepper-sprayed them for flaunting government parade bans this week in Ankara. That adds to the more than 350 peaceful demonstrators who were roughly arrested last week in Istanbul. More than 150 others have been hauled away at several smaller pride attempts during the past few weeks. Turkey once hosted some of the largest pride celebrations in the region. President Tayyip Erdogan and his Islamist-rooted AK Party have forcefully clamped down on those celebrations since taking power in 2002. A small group of protesters booked more than they bargained for at a Pride-season Drag Queen Story Hour-inspired event in Mayo, Ireland on July 2nd. Claiming that fabulously dressed entertainers reading life-affirming stories to preschoolers and their parents constitutes child abuse, the right-wingers held up why sexualized children signs outside the bookstore. Irish drag performer Dr. Panty Bliss Cabrera was on the scene and having none of it. The outspoken activist made international news in 2014 with an impassioned speech against homophobia that has since been viewed on YouTube more than 300,000 times. The protester who asked Dr. Panty if the entertainers had received clearance to read to the children came to a queen fight with a painted placard as posted on Twitter. Have you got girl clearance to speak to this 15 year old? Have you got girl clearance? Have you got girl clearance? So you haven't got girl clearance? Why do you got the clearance to have a conversation with somebody? For Christ's sakes, are you thrilled about it? You're no crack at all. Mayo Pride organizers issued a statement soon after the dust-up that said in part, we will not be intimidated by far-right hate groups. We intend to run a full line of events next year. They set up a GoFundMe page for that purpose. It has to date drawn more than 100 donations. Finally, a mosque in Berlin unfurled a rainbow flag to mark the start of annual LGBTQ pride celebrations, reportedly a first for a mosque in Germany. Worshippers at the Eben Rost Goethe Mosque honored the history-making event by wearing stickers that read, Love is Halal. The city's culture minister, Klaus Lederer, joined other dignitaries for the July 2nd ceremony. Berlin Pride organizer Mark Eric Lehmann called it an incredibly strong sign of progress and said, Queer people can also be religious and believe in God. The affirmation comes on the heels of the mass shooting at queer venues in Oslo by a Norwegian Muslim of Iranian descent. A statement from the Eben Rush Gurtas Mosque Six Imams reassured LGBTQ Muslims they do not have to choose between their faith and their sexual identity, but are accepted as such as they are. That's News Wrap, Global Queer News with Attitude, for the week ending July 2nd, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Marcos Najera. Stay healthy. And I'm Sarah Montague. Stay safe. At that moment, I knew him as a young, soft girl whose dead name I won't expose for his own safety. 
Clearly, a young soft girl isn't who he is now, or who he ever truly was. I won't say his real name either, so we'll call him Darwin. An evolving friendship gives a queer teen some protection. After an update from This Way Out's Lucia Chappelle on an evolving story. As I sit here in a Russian prison, alone with my thoughts and without the protection of my wife, my family, my friends, Olympic jersey or any of my accomplishments, I'm, I'm terrified. I, I might be here forever. July 4th, 2022. On the 136th day of her Russian captivity, WNBA star Brittany Griner wrote a letter to U.S. President Joe Biden pleading for action in her case. Griner is facing 10 years in prison for cannabis vape cartridges allegedly found in her luggage. Her wife, Sherelle, told CBS Mornings the reasons behind Griner's letter. Because of the failed attempts that we have had as a family, I was told, you know, we're going to try and handle this behind scenes, stay quiet, and, you know, I did that. And respectfully, that does not work. And so I will not be quiet anymore. On the 4th of July, our family normally honors the service of those who fought for our freedom, including my father, who was a Vietnam War veteran. It hurts. It hurts thinking about how I usually celebrate this day because freedom means something completely different to me this year. I mean, it made me cry. Griner's Phoenix Mercury coach, Vanessa Nygaard. You know, just hearing her words, not knowing if she'll ever be free again, on our, on our day of freedom, hearing those words from such a beloved person, it was a Ronnie V. home, right? It's a, it's a statement about the value of women. It's a statement about the value of a black person. It's a statement about the value of a gay person. I realize you were dealing with so much, but please don't forget about me and the other American detainees. Please do all you can to bring us home. I voted for the first time in 2020, and I voted for you. I believe in you. I still have so much good to do with my freedom that you can help restore. I miss my wife. I miss my family. I miss my teammates. And it kills me to know they are suffering so much right now. I am grateful for whatever you can do at this moment to get me home. The president did read the letter. Uh, I was there when he read the letter. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre. Brittany Griner being uh, held in Moscow. Uh, we believe she's being wrongfully detained in Moscow at this time. This is an issue that is a priority for this president. We believe she needs to come home. She should be home, as well as Paul Whelan, as well, who's being held. And it is a deeply personal letter. As you know, this president is, uh, takes that very personally as well. He did write her back. Sherelle Griner, and it brought me so much joy, as well as BG. I believe every word that she said to him, he understood, and he sees her as a person, and he has not forgotten her, which was her biggest cry in her letter. Brittany Griner pled guilty to the charges on July 7th. Legal analysts say that the plea could speed her conviction and open the door to a possible prisoner swap. For This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Oh, 
Some politicians say that trans teen supportive parents are guilty of child abuse, but an outcasting overtime youth broadcaster bears witness to a truly abusive family situation. This is Outcasting Overtime from Media for the Public Good, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Hi, I'm Karis, an outcasting youth broadcaster. On this edition, I'll be discussing a very close friend of mine and the toll that his unsupportive environment takes on him and those who genuinely care for him. It was the first day of school, seventh grade, September 2018. I remember being so absolutely petrified sitting on the steps of the school that I threw up into my own hand. Somehow I got in the building and sat down alone. I was in a daze of anxiety, and everything felt sort of blurry. I observed my surroundings, the collared shirts, blue skirts, the knee-high socks, all accompanied by nameless faces conversing around me. I had always greatly struggled with social situations and had no desire to interact with my new peers. At least until a bubbly individual came up to me and started talking with me. At that moment, I knew him as a young, soft girl whose dead name I won't expose for his own safety. Clearly, a young, soft girl isn't who he is now, or who he ever truly was. I won't say his real name either, so we'll call him Darwin. From that day on, we were friends, sat next to each other in every class we could. Days turned to weeks, and weeks to months, and we grew inseparable. As we got to know each other better, I began to see signs that Darwin was not who he presented as, and I started to see him decline mentally. When Darwin entered my life, we were both young, and in a very toxic educational environment, a private religious school. Both of us had been told throughout our lives at school that associating with the LGBTQ community would only do us harm in life. Outside of school, I could leave the bigotry behind me. I got to return home to an accepting, loving family. Darwin was much less fortunate. His mother worked in education. She was a traditional woman who was very invested in her faith. She never let him out of the house unless it was contributing to his education, and he was not allowed to call anyone under any circumstances. His father was no different, a law enforcement worker who preached against diversity. Darwin never really agreed with them, but he was smart enough to keep his head down. One of the reasons I think he befriended me and our bond grew so quickly was that I was the polar opposite of everything else in his life. The more comfortable he got with me, the more horrendous his descriptions of his life became. He talked in depth about horrendous dialogues with his family, describing a frequent sense of neglect, emotional and physical. I got him to begin acknowledging and trying to treat his problems. It was never that he didn't want the help. He desperately desired treatment for his attentional issues, depression, paranoia, and everything in between. The school didn't provide a counselor, and his parents refused to send him to any therapist or psychiatrist. He had nowhere to turn, so I became his outlet. I didn't mind. I felt good that I might be able to help. Taking care of him and making sure he was okay became part of a routine, something that never left my mind. It was comforting in a way, and it felt like that for a good while. In the spring of 2019, we were 12, and Darwin told me that he liked men and women. It was a big milestone for him, and I was happy that he'd made such a discovery about himself. At first, it was great, and we discussed it often. Some days we would forget how awful life was outside that wooden playground, just talking about our interests under the structures, stairs, and singing songs for musicals. When summer rolled around, we talked every day over text. He found some level of acceptance online when we were apart, 
but he still talked with me about how much he just wanted to escape. Some days when stuff was bad, we would talk about scenarios where life was better and everything was okay. An imaginary place in which we had an apartment and a pet pig. It made him happy, genuinely happy. Over vacation, he was constantly pulled away from that hope, and seeing him hurt made me hurt too. His hatred for his environment and resentment towards the people who called themselves his family had only grown stronger. As he got older, he said he thought he could never come out, never live his truth, and it enraged him. Our childish imaginings yielded less and less of an emotional response. He grew increasingly dreary, describing life as monotonous and repetitive, and his motivation to keep living dwindled. Dude, I don't know anymore. I'm just so tired. I don't want to do this. Then the pandemic began. That was really what began an intense spiral. He was trapped at home, trapped with people who emotionally manipulated him, neglected him, and constantly reminded him he was not enough. He often told me I was all he had, that I was all he was living for, and without me, he'd have died a long time ago. He talked about being more comfortable identifying with no specific gender or leaning towards the masculine side. That's when he adopted the new name Darwin. I thought that maybe this would help, but it really didn't. Every waking moment for him was a moment too long on this earth. He was done. There was no out and there was no support. I felt such a weight on my shoulders. I was keeping him here. This person that I cared about. A person I didn't think I could ever live without. And if that someday wasn't enough, I realized there was nothing I could do. That changes a person. I would sit up at night, just staring at my ceiling. Was that the last drawing he'll send me? Was that the last time I'd see a picture of his face? Was that the last sneaky phone call, the last mobile game, the last tearful goodnight? It ate away at me, day in and day out, and I just pushed myself to keep holding him afloat as best I could. It hurt, but I knew he was hurting more. I was torn between feeling as if I was forcing him to be unhappy and feeling that I was saving him. I felt so lost, like I was holding the hand of a long-dead corpse. I guess that's what happens with people you care about. You love until they love themselves. Darwin was fading in and out, but I refused to let go. We had gone to different schools. I made friends, but none like him. We've stayed close, constantly talking. We would do anything for each other, despite the fact that maintaining our friendship and communication had become so much work due to distance and the isolation imposed by his family. More often than not, it felt like us against the world. He's stayed the one constant in my life, one of the only things I can trust, even if that trust felt as if it was slipping away. To this day, I still worry about him immensely. His parents have seen him hurt himself and still taken no real actions. He was diagnosed with ADHD at school, and again, his parents refused to acknowledge it, let alone treat it. They stood their ground despite the advice of a medical professional. Darwin claims he's just grown numb to the pain of it all. I know it still destroys him. I've tried to help him be strong and fill the gaps that his parents left behind, but that only gets a person so far. Nothing we can do will probably ever change his parents, and even if we tried, 
It would only land him on the streets. We're both going into our junior years of high school now. I am a fully out lesbian young woman, advocating in my school for my rights with extracurriculars and confronting the system regarding bigotry and inequality. Meanwhile, Darwin is an asexual, transgender young man who is forced into secrecy. He has been failed by the people who are supposed to protect and nurture him. Despite everything, he does what he can to support others. He's funny, kind. It is such a gift to be able to call him my friend. It truly is heartbreaking that someone with such potential, someone so full of life and talent, has to keep his true colors in a box deep in his soul just to survive another day. Despite our two wildly different lives, we stay connected by a messaging app he keeps secret from his mother. We're now making genuine, solid plans for a better life. We're trying to attend the same college and saving up to get an apartment afterwards. He doesn't really want any more education, claiming school just isn't for him, but I always push back. I know that he doesn't see a life past 19, but convincing him to get a degree may help him start to. I've planned my major, and he's decided he'd just go along with it. I just can't wait for him to be happy, really happy. Not my version of happy, not his parents, but a real, true Darwin happy. We both know that the past few years have been rough, and life may not stop being difficult, but at least we can see to the end of this chapter now. He's still just as self-destructive, and I'm still just as paranoid, but we're too close not to survive it. Soon enough we'll be 18, and those shackles that have been holding him back for years can be broken. He wants to leave his family behind and anything or anyone associated with them. Who could argue with that, really? Transphobia, homophobia, suppression. What is it teaching us? It's triggering a habit of bottling up pieces of ourselves just to please the society we exist in. It triggers fear, a disconnect between families. It ruins lives, ends lives. And for what? What could ever make losing your child, your baby, a better thing than being related to someone who identifies differently than their assigned birth? or someone who's interested in someone of the same sex? Why will they only care if he takes a nosedive into a casket? Maybe I don't know how his parents feel, and I don't think either of us ever will. We know what we are told, which isn't very much. What I do know is that this cycle of aggression and suppression is not uncommon, and that it only destroys lives and relationships. I hope that mankind learns better than this abuse. I hope that this suffering won't go on in generations to come. And I truly hope Darwin survives long enough to fulfill the plans we've made. Thanks for listening to Outcasting Overtime from Outcasting Media, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Outcasting Media is a production of Media for the Public Good based in New York. Our executive producer is Mark Sophus. Visit us at outcastingmedia.org to get information about outcasting. Watch outcasting videos, access our social media links, and listen to outcasting and related content. You can also find outcasting wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Karis. Thanks. And thanks for listening.
Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the Nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Sarah Montague and Marcos Nahara, produced by Brian DeShazer from Risha Chappelle, and from Outcasting Overtime Career Youth Commentator Karis, produced by Mark Sopas. Thanks also to Reese Jackson Whitaker. Anna Netrepko and the Metropolitan Opera performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This by our thanks to Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Ivana Foundation, a request from Christopher David Trentum, and donors Judd Proctor and Brian Burns, and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappelle and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. We thank you for listening online at thiswayout.org and on KKFI, Kansas City, Missouri, Chiampa Radio, Tampa, Florida, CJAM, Windsor, Ontario, and a wide array of community, terrestrial, and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.